Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. It wouldn't be a college football offseason without the threat of constant change to the NCAA landscape. There's an NIL injunction, the threat of NLRB rulings of athletes as employees, discussions of changes to the college football playoff format before the new one has been used, and it's not even March yet. Uh, to discuss these topics in Notre Dame football, we reached out to Dennis Dodd, National College Football Writer for CBS Sports. Dennis, thanks for joining us. Hey, a pleasure, you guys. Thanks. Dennis, I, I want to start with the college football playoff because that's at least the it's a little bit dumbfounding to me that they're already trying to change it before they've played. Why, why do you think there's such a rush to change the format already? I think um, I think there's two questions here. There's that. And why is this coming so late in the process? Because I think part of the answer to this is Tony Petiti at the Big Ten, the commissioner, waking up one day and saying, hey, we've got 18 teams. We deserve more access. Um, the only way to get that access is to expand the playoff. But we're now two and a half weeks from that, you know, ominous advisory group release from the SEC and Big Ten and now, you know, a couple of days away from, you know, them now, I don't know what the verb is, demanding uh, automatic spots and a, uh, a weighted share of the future revenue in the playoffs. So that that's why it happened, because the, because it's the same reason rock stars date supermodels, because they can. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tony Petiti sounds like the guy that goes to the all-you-can-eat buffet and then says i should have brought my stretchy pants um but <laughs> <laughs> that's right i think you know our audience is kind of wondering if any of this is going to lead to notre dame having a tough decision about staying independent do you see a pathway where this playoff format change could really push Notre Dame into a decision to go into a conference rather than having the decision to go either way? No, I don't. Uh, when I first heard about this, that they were, you know, interested, those two conferences and an automatic qualifier spots, I was thinking a 12-team bracket. And I would say, boy, that kind of puts the squeeze on Notre Dame unless I'm min missing something. Well, what we were missing is bracket, you know, partially for that reason. yes to get their AQs in, but more to stay out of court with a group of five and regarding antitrust and access and to take care of Notre Dame. So unless I'm missing something, I, I think Notre Dame is going to have, you know, their, their access is going to be fine. They'll, there will not be a squeeze on them in, in that realm necessarily to join a, uh, a conference. Now, you know, the, the pressure may come from somewhere else, but uh, I think the biggest thing that people don't realize, or a lot of people don't realize, is their access point is so unique. Um, they they can never, the way it's written now, uh, or at least the next two years, they can never um, get a first round buy um, because they have agreed to do that um, as an independent. That was the trade off. You know, we don't play a conference championship game, so that's one less game we have to play. And we're fine uh, being seated uh, fifth at the highest in this whole thing. Now, some may, 
uh, you can see the incongruity in that. If Notre Dame finishes number one, then what happens? And that's going to have to be addressed in the 14-team playoff as well. But think about that. Notre Dame could finish number one, have to play an extra game, and be seated no higher than fifth. Right. So I, I'm not sure that I've seen them playing with the format. I mean, just having done brackets myself, I know with 14 teams – you generally give the first two teams buys and then everybody else has to play that first round. And then, yeah. then you're down to an even number. Now we know in basketball tournaments, a lot of these conferences like to give a double buy to four teams. Um, and then there are teams that conceivably have to win five rounds to, to win the championship. Do you think if they go to 14 teams, it'll be just the two teams getting a buy and then the buy for Notre Dame matters less being able to be ranked higher, seated higher. Yes. Yes. I th what's been proposed is the top two get a buy. And so then that leaves 12 teams to play six games, which would get you down to eight um, in the quarterfinals, which, which is what you have now with 12. The skeleton is there. Uh, the skeleton is December, what is it, 20th, 21st of this yeah. year. They will play those first round games and go from 12 to eight, you know, only two games. They go from two to four uh, in the first round of 14 teams. The, the bigger question is, where do you play those? The NFL is already reportedly upset that the CFP is playing on December 21st, a Saturday. And to accommodate six games, it looks like the CFP is going to have to play three three days of two games each, at least to give it proper breathing room. And so you've got Friday, which is kind of awkward, uh, Saturday NFL games. You can't play Sunday. That's the entire NFL schedule. And then Monday night football, I don't think you can play there um, unless you're going head to head. So it's going to be really interesting if they go to 14 where they place these extra games. There's a rumor that Taylor Swift is going to be at the Notre Dame games to improve the ratings. <laughs> she's a she's a, she's a, probably the best influence on winning football in the NFL there is right now. <laughs> Dennis, do you think college football should be concerned about the competition with the NFL? Like, is is there is there a scenario where the playoff doesn't get as much attention as I think? fans and and the networks would like it to um because it's going up more and more against the nfl with the way they have to schedule it i think they should be really concerned because taken as a whole this first 10 years of the cfp the ratings haven't been great they were really good the first year and then in general have trended downward every year um you know, part of that was they were bound and determined early on to play on New Year's Eve. Well, that mm -hmm. was a ratings disaster. People, I remember Bill Hancock saying people will tune in at parties. Well, you know what? Guess what? They didn't, by and large. <laughs> uh, so the ratings have gone down. I'm I'm sure ESPN isn't happy with going head to head with uh, with the NFL. That's not going to help ratings. So yeah, I think there's a huge concern. But they've kind of painted themselves into a corner where like. Okay, we're going to do, you know, ready, shoot, aim. We're going to do this. We'll figure out everything else later. And I just told you a huge conflict with that with that first opening weekend if they add these two games. So, Dennis, as these these proposals and discussions turn into actual bylaws or whatever, are are the Big 12 and the ACC 
willingly going along with this or are they are they having their arms twisted and don't really have a choice but to go along with it are the sec and the big 10 now so powerful they can just dictate well as we speak right now and again this is recorded and things could change 10 minutes from now <laughs> i think the i think the big 12 is on board in that wait a minute you want to give us two guaranteed spots we don't even have that in 12. We don't have one in 12. Yeah, we'll take that. Um, you know, in the way that league is constituted now, I'm not quite sure what the ACC's mindset is. They they may be against it just because because of the the automatic qualifier status. The you know, the uh the rebuttal to that is well, you're gonna no matter what the structure is, SEC and Big Ten, you're gonna get as many as you want anyway, at large. Um, you know conference champions only you're going to get as many as you want why do you need the aq status and from what is near as i could tell is that i don't think they trust the selection committee um they want to play the, uh, look after at the, last the, year i don't first game of the season <laughs> well i i know and i think that's a story that i need to write um usc plays lsu in the first game of the season in las vegas this year USC is going to play a tough schedule in the Big Ten. Well, what if, what if USC goes nine and three, eight and four, um, in a, and I'm talking about a 14 team field right now because the, for the next two years it's set 12, right? Um, with with AQs and they're being compared to a Big Ten team, uh, I'm sorry, a Big 12 team that's 10 and two and obviously doesn't play as tough a schedule. Well, that long answer short they don't want to leave that decision in the hands of the selection committee. So what's the best way to do that? Just give us our three, you know, we'll be fine. Now that the, the opposite of that, the blowback from that is if this was in place last year, you would have had to consider Iowa in there. And that's really bad optics by any measure, even mm -hmm. though they won 10 games, Iowa does not deserve to be in a national championship playoff. So I think that's some of the. I'm not. In, I'm not sure Iowa deserved to be in the Pop Tarts Bowl. I mean, I don't. That's not where they ended up. Right. Oh my God. No. No. But I think the, you have the to mentality. Have, I think you have to have, be able to beat, score on a on a good high school defense, and I don't think Iowa <laughs> can do that. What was my? I'm trying to think of my best, Iowa statistic. Obviously, they were last in total offense. God, I'm trying to think. They, there were um, 57 players. I think this is right. There were 57 individual players who scored more touchdowns last season than Iowa as a team. <laughs> Something like that. It was unbelievable. Dennis, uh, circling back to Notre Dame's uh, path in the future with this, I it's not so much that there aren't spots available for Notre Dame, but I'm curious, like if, if the conferences aren't willing to trust the committee, why should Notre Dame and should the conferences have any motivation to schedule Notre Dame moving forward if they're going to be automatically guaranteed to have its best teams in the playoff? Well, that's a good point. Um, uh, I think the mentality in the Big Ten and the SEC – um, the SEC, I'm, I'm told, is going to eventually add a ninth game, so that automatically improves their schedule. Uh, the Big Ten, as a conference philosophically, wants to uh, wants to play as many 
competitive non-conference games as they can um, to the point that this was the case before we even started this discussion. When they expanded the bracket, it was going to make it possible for the Big Ten and the Big Ten and SEC teams to get in at nine and three. It just is. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where, you know, I, I made that example before. They don't want to be penalized. Oh, nine and three, you know, well, penalized for testing themselves. Um, because, look, the rights holder is going to want better games to the point that the rights holders may tell the Big Ten, um, look, you got to add a 10th conference game. I mean, look at me. Go and look at Michigan's schedule this year. If you thought last year's was bad in terms of non-conference, it's horrible. And I don't know who it is exactly, but last year, what was it? It was UNLV, Colorado State, and somebody else, Bowling Green. Um, and so they, the Big Ten as a conference philosophically doesn't want to have to do that going forward. They know they're going to have to play better games. Okay, Dennis, I am going to take us out of the playoff and into NIL world and there was the temporary injunction last week and basically suspending all the NIL rules that were illegal. I guess some people were still doing them anyways. Where are yeah. we headed with, with this? I mean, do you think this is going to be a permanent injunction and that it's going to be the chaos that the NCAA is suggesting it will be? Well, big picture, we're living through the middle part of the transition to paying players. And this is just kind of the yucky, messy part in the middle. I've come to the conclusion now, like a year from now, we're going to have collective bargaining. Um, We may even have unions. Um, It's going to have to become a reality. I I don't think it's that big a deal. I mean, we've had now two and a half years of the NIL era to you know, examine what's gone on. It's been messy, but on Saturdays, people just care about the games. Mm-hmm. I do. I don't care if Shador Sanders drives a Maybach. I really don't. Um, and the fans don't. Uh, they they set re- record attendance at Colorado, record attendance nationally. Maybe the best season ever on national television. And so it's just, we're just in kind of that uh, rocky transition area. I, I can't tell you exactly what it looks like, but I think we've lived it part of it the last two and a half years. Bryce Young making two million a year, Caleb Williams making a million a year, and 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 look in the future it'll be more regulated because with collective bargaining, then you can you can collectively bargain. Hey, we'll give you X in return for you staying on campus for two years. And coaches would kill for that right now, frankly. Some some sort of roster certainty. So I just look, I think in two or three years, we're not even going to talk about this stuff. Do you guys remember how, what a big deal, um, oh, what was it? Not restricted earnings, but uh, cost of attendance was a few years ago. People lost their minds. I was at an (laughs) SEC spring meeting where coaches were losing their minds over the fact that Auburn players might get $100 more per month than Alabama. Oh, the recruiting advantages. Come on, guys. I mean, I've learned, I've learned not to trust those reactions, especially when they come from coaches. And I think when this is settled down and the market applies, we won't, you know, the, the market will apply where there won't be many uh, quarterbacks like the Tennessee kid, um, Nico Ayamaleva, making $8 million because they won't all pan out. I mean, that's simple capitalist market economics. You don't throw good money after bad. 
So that will rectify itself. And then with uh, collective bargaining and revenue sharing, perhaps as governors on the system, I, I think it'll be fine. I, I, I think there'll still be some purity to the game. I think the also a question for me, you know, at Notre Dame, the non-revenue sports are pretty big deal. Do, does football moving toward this model threaten the non-revenue sports in any way? Yeah, I think yet to be determined, I would have to say the future does not look good in that if it comes down to it to cut costs, because they're not going to they're not going to cut football coaches salaries if they have to cut back. Uh, I think it will be born on the backs of those minor sports. Uh, I've, I, I know Title IX involved. I know that. Um, but cutting is cutting. And there's a huge burden about to be about to come onto these schools. I think it's pretty much assumed that in some of these larger antitrust suits, they're all have the power five as plaintiffs. And we're at the point now where those have to be either settled or risk going to trial, which would be a folly um, and have to pay triple the damages. So schools are getting ready to have to bear that burden. However, that's um, however that's distributed. I talked to someone the other day where they thought that, that particular money would be permissive from school to school. And that decision alone would be the decider in subdivisions. You either in or you're out. Yeah, you're going to, you're going to be part of the, uh, part of the settlement. Okay. You're in, you're not, you're out because you haven't shown a commitment to major college football by by paying a uh, class action, antitrust civil rights settlement, believe it, not civil rights, antitrust uh, lawsuit settlement, which sounds crazy. But that's going to be the big differentiator, I think, in the future, because that's almost certain to come down and it's going to have to be borne on the backs of these schools budgets. De Dennis, has have the NCA and the schools lost control of where this is going? Will will they be making any decisions or will they just be reacting to court rulings and federal legislation that is dictating how they have to do things? I think a long, long answer short. I think they run a heck of a tournament in March. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think they'll have that. I mean, think about this guys. They, they don't sponsor FBS football, uh, but they have a, a, a tranche of money where they help run it quote unquote for it costs $65 million a year. In any given year, 10 million of that is to litigate lawsuits. I think that's a big piece. Now that's a big, that's great for the schools and the, uh, not the NCA, but whoever takes this over, if in fact they do, uh, it's going to have to assume some of that liability. So I think there's, I think that's what keeps it, I don't know, quote unquote alive, but they, they really do a great job with the basketball tournament. And that money is counted on by all the schools, the income from that. Um, so I think in some way shape or form they will be around maybe not just obviously not how they are now well all right dennis that's all we have for you we really appreciate you taking time to talk to us and i'm sure we'll be talking again soon all right thanks tyler thanks eric be well before we get to our question segment i wanted to remind our listeners of our subscription promo for insideindiesports.com we're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to the site that will get you access to all of our premium content the insider lounge message board and you don't have to wait for the next podcast to ask us a question. You take advantage of this offer by using promo code NDPOD, that's N-D-P-O-D, when you sign up for a subscription. 
on InsideIndieSports.com. You can find a link to the deal in the podcast description or show notes. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from at Charles W. Wolf. Can you break down the latest NIL rulings for us? My head is kind of spinning. Okay, and, you know, I think Dennis did a pretty good job of what the kind of big picture uh, implications are. But basically, last week, a federal district judge put a put in temporary injunction in place that basically suspends the NCAA from enforcing its own rules about NIL, specifically about recruits, both high school recruits and transfers, from being able to kind of negotiate where they're going based on NIL opportunities, which is a big no-no. And at least now there's a window for them to do that. If this does not become a permanent injunction, they will not be penalized for doing that during this period. But uh, the the plaintiffs, which is, it's a class action suit, so it'll affect all schools, not just Tennessee and Virginia. They're seeking to make this a permanent injunction. And, and the NCAA is pushing back and saying, you know, this is going to create chaos uh, or whatever. But as Dennis mentioned, big picture in our earlier interview, this is just pushing us further down the road toward athletes being paid. So this is just another step toward that. Yeah, and the, and the basis of it all is just that there these courts believe that the NCAA is violating federal antitrust laws and in prohibiting um, these NIL deals from happening. So. Um, and threatening to punish them. So I, I think, I don't know where it's going. I, I, I know that Dennis is talking about uh, paying players and, and unionization. Um, as someone who uh, helped start a union, um, I know it is incredibly complicated and you have to get a lot of people on the same page. Um, and so like, I'm very curious how that's, how it would work at the cal- like the student athlete level, because, you have at at most guy uh, players there for five years. Like it's not, um, there's no there's no one there that's there for ten years, right? There's there's just constant turnover. Which there's some of that at like the professional athlete level, um, but there are some people that have the the have more and more experience. So I don't know. It's just gonna be very interesting to see how that works and um, like if it's school by school or a conference by conference in terms of. Um, how the rules are set up and, and all that stuff. But um, it it does at least seem like we're heading towards something that looks like that or or, or there's going to be have to be sort of a whole new model put in place that um, agrees with what the courts um, believe is happening. All right, next question is from Nathan Reynolds at Enforcers2117. Do you think the 14-team playoff with the automatic qualifiers pretty much forces Notre Dame into the big 10. Well, I thought that was a pretty interesting question. Just why I asked Dennis Don first <laughs> to see what his, his thoughts were. I, I think, you know, the, the question is, we don't know which format the uh, 
college football playoff group is going to adopt, I would I would imagine that there could be evolutions of this that would put Notre Dame in a difficult position in terms of, okay, do we need to join a conference now? Access to winning a national championship has always been one of the pillars that would get Notre Dame's attention in terms of we've got to join a conference full-time with football. The other two are a media rights deal, which they've recently uh, been able to extend through 2029 with NBC, and then it's a place to house their Olympic sports teams and basketball teams, which right now is the ACC. If the ACC were to blow up, that would again force Notre Dame to consider your question. Right now, as we look at it, it doesn't look like it would be. But again, we don't know what college sports is going to look like a year from now or two years from now, including the playoff structure. Yeah, and my concerns are what I what I followed up with Dennis about is that I don't the with, with more automatic qualifiers I continue to question what the incentive for those conference schools to schedule Notre Dame would be. Um, I know there's obviously the 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 one answer that always comes back to is money. It's like obviously a game against Notre Dame is going to be a draw, um, but. If the if there's such a draw or such a money pit that will be coming from this college ball playoff, is it worth risking your path to that um, by playing one game against Notre Dame? Um, and then I think the other part of it is, and Eric was talking about how like I'm not sure that I would trust the the, the committee if I'm a, one of those like the ACC or something. If the if the committee is by rule, so beholden to these conferences, like what what uh, motivation will it have to give Notre Dame the benefit of the doubt when it comes to these rankings? Because I think everyone that wants to not be worried about this is like, well, there, there's going to still be spots left, and all you have to do is finish in the top 10. You, Notre Dame can do that. Like, that's not unreasonable. But, like, you're not the one making the top 10. People that are will, by, by rule, be influenced by conferences will be the ones making the top 10, and Notre Dame – without a conference does not have that same poll anymore. Um, so if all those conferences are being appeased, what motiv- motivation do they have to sort of keep Notre Dame involved other than their parents and grandparents loving Notre Dame? I, I don't, I don't know. Like, it, I think it's uh I think it is concerning personally, whether, whether or not everyone agrees with me, I think it's different, but. Good. I think what's going to be interesting too, going forward is, Whatever you think about Jack Swarbrick and his days of actually being in the athletic director chair are in its final days, he has been an incredible influence for Notre Dame on a national scale. He's got Notre Dame not only a seat at the table, but he's been a driving force. He was the architect of the original 12-team format. And so there is Pete Bavacqua going to be as powerful as Jack Swarbrick was in that realm. I mean, he may be great at running Notre Dame's athletic department, but can he make Notre Dame a player on a national level with all these changing forces? That's going to be a big test of of his resolve very early in his tenure at Notre Dame. Yeah, and I think like the the 
the way that Jack Swarbrick ha- made his influence wasn't just because he represented Notre Dame, right? Like that, that got him in the room, but the way he comports himself, the trust that people have in him, um, his belief or, or people believing that he has the best interests of college football in mind. There's a lot of things that go into why he was able to have an influence beyond just the fact that he was representing Notre Dame. So that's where and his relationships with those other athletic right. directors and conference commissioners as well. Absolutely. All right. Next question is from MG Perez 0718. Are more changes coming to the football practice facilities? If there are, has any indication been given what that might be? Uh, there are more changes coming, not necessarily to the football practice facilities, but to the Google Amino Athletics Conference or co- complex. Conference. <laughs> Everybody's a conference now. <laughs> complex, which is the athletic main athletic building, and and certainly for football. And so, what what would the changes look like? So, here's some of the more important ones. They would. Um, have more offices for coaches and support staff. I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but but it is. More recovery space for health, for injuries. There would be, the Goob does not have its own kitchen and it doesn't have its own dining space. So you have most of the players sitting together for dinner. You would be able to have all of them sitting together for meals. You wouldn't have to cart the meals in, cater them in from other parts of campus. You could actually do the cooking at the Goog. I know that sounds small, but these are all little things that all add up to a better football program. There would be study space and tutoring space there so that they wouldn't have to truck across campus, especially in bad weather to do that. They'd be have kind of all under one roof. They'd also have their own weight room so that they wouldn't have to share it with the other teams and in terms of time, uh, that's really good. I remember, for example, people said, well, what's so? What's the big deal? Why do they need an indoor athletic, uh, the indoor athletic complex, Irish athletic complex? Why can't they just use Loftus Center? Well, everybody else uses the Loftus. And so there were times Notre Dame would have to have team runs at like 4.30 in the morning. You could say, oh, that's good. That builds character. Well, yeah, it does. But the reality is you have a Notre Dame academic schedule and football practice on top of that. So being able to have it at a more reasonable time makes sense. And that would be the same way with, with the weight room. Yeah. um, I don't know that I have anything else to add. I think you covered it all, but yeah, I think the important distinction there is that it's not the practice facilities themselves. Like I, I, I don't know that there's anything that will impact like either the indoor athletic center or, um, it's Labar Practice Complex. I think is the official title, but um, for the practice fields that are that are parallel to the to the indoor facility. All right. Uh, next question is from at Dan Quinlan. If you were Steve Angeli, what would you do? It, it's okay if he wants to go somewhere and start, but if he stays and Riley Leonard is hurt, he could be a key player on a great team. Plus, he would head into twenty twenty five with a solid chance to start. Your thoughts? I'd. If I'm Steve Angeli, I'm going through spring practice. I'm competing for that starting job. And then I would kind of reassess when I got done with spring football. And he would still have, by the time the blue-gold game is played, he'd have about 10 days to jump in the portal if he really wanted to. 
there are some things that I would consider if I'm Steve. First of all, not only is he competing against Riley Leonard, there are two very good prospects behind him and chasing him. Is he still solidly number two coming out of spring, or did one of those guys make a move and now they are challenging him? I would also ask myself, can I continue to develop at a high rate as a backup? He certainly did in 2023. Um, and then how important is the ND degree and the ND life to him? Steve Angeli talked about this some the last time we had him in a media session about how unique Notre Dame is and how much it means to him. Now, he didn't say, and nothing is going to change that, but I know it means a lot to him. And then the last thing is, does he realistically see himself as an NFL quarterback? If he doesn't, then I think, and, and most guys do, whether they are or not. Yeah. But but if he doesn't, I mean, if he's more realistic and he said, you know what, I'm willing to roll the dice in, you know, injuries and in being able to beat out um, Kenny Minchie and C.J. Carr in 2025, you know, I, I'm looking at the bigger picture. I think Notre Dame is more important to me than, you know, uh, this pipe dream of being an NFL quarterback going through Rutgers to get there or whatever. Um, so I think those are all on the table. Those are all the questions that I would ask myself. And I think I would conclude just looking at through Steve Angeli's lens and what I know of him, I would stay. I would I would bet on myself and stay through 2024. You could always jump in after the season, into the portal after the season, if things didn't work out the way you wanted. Yeah, I I, I struggle with it because I understand and appreciate the value of an underdame degree. Uh, I'm speaking from my perspective here. But you only get so much time to maximize yourself as a college football player. And then whether or not that leads to being a professional football player, you could always come back and be a Notre Dame student. Um, and so like, I, I just, it's, it's really hard. Like if you really don't think that you're giving up being given a fair shake and that, yeah, they're going to tell me, well, I could start next season. It's like, well, you already, you've already, passed on me twice what what make like fool me once shame on me fool me or shame on you fool me twice shame on me like I, like do you really trust that that opportunity to start is going to be given to you um so I, I would understand the want to get out of there um i think i would probably stay and graduate because you still would have years of eligibility left um but the clock is ticking and i i mean if Steve Angeli doesn't get a chance to play this year, like wouldn't right now be his highest value coming off of the Sun Bowl? Like, is he is he going to have a better market next year in the portal than he would this year? Now, the problem is, is like most of the quarterback situations are probably settled by now. Like, I think the the winter winter transfer window is the more ideal time to transfer if you're going to try to be the presumptive presumptive starter at the next school you're going to. Um, so I think, I, I don't know that he would be given any advantages by transferring this summer, um, but maybe, maybe there's a place that he felt like, well, e even if I don't start this fall, then I, I'm, I'm at least in a better spot going into next year at whatever school that is than Notre Dame. I don't know 
that that makes a lot of sense to me. So I, I would probably graduate and leave, but I, I certainly um, could could see the reasoning behind getting out of here and try to maximize the years you have available to play college football um, and trying to get on the playing field. And right now there's an injunction that allows other schools to poach him to, <laughs> to try to recruit him off the Notre Dame roster. Exactly. All right. Our last question is for Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Now that Devin Williams is off the table for Notre Dame, for each of you who are the top three must-get recruits for the class of 2025, also, yes or no, does Deuce Knight sign with Notre Dame next December? Well, Tyler scolded me on what – constitutes a must get uh, has to be a gettable recruit but i'm gonna stay with my own thing since i'm not in the weeds like he is anyway so my answers are going to be stupider than his are so i'm gonna go with is it talon taylor is that how you say his first name uh you know what i'm not 100 percent certain but i think that's how i'd say it okay i'm gonna go with him at wide receiver because i think he's an elite speed guy I'm going to go with Nathaniel Owusu-Botang, which I was scolded for last time. <laughs> um, and if he's not gettable enough, then I'll go with Tony Saka uh, at linebacker. And then I'm going to go Anthony, with... Anthony, Anthony, Tony's his dad. Yeah, well, get Tony too. <laughs> uh, Anthony Saka. And then I'm going to go with uh, Damian Shanklin, the defensive end from Indianapolis. Um, I'll go with him as my third guy. Yeah, I think the, the last time we were asked by Marie to give muskets was before the junior day. Um, the three that I had on my list then were Owen Strebig, Mark Zachary, the cornerback out of Ben Davis in, in Indianapolis, and then cornerback Dallas Golden out of Tampa. Um, Owen Strebig has committed to Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame still has good chances with Mark Zachary and Dallas Golden. Um, I have future casts. Mark for Zachary Notre just uh, announced his top four today. Yeah, while we were recording our podcast, and it includes Notre Dame, um, to no surprise, as I, I mentioned, that they almost would get, be guaranteed to um, in the heat index that, that published uh, Thursday morning uh, on the Insider Lounge. And so I'm going to keep Mark Zachary on that list. Um, Damian Shanklin, the defensive end you mentioned, uh, is also on my list. And I have a receiver... I, I also have a receiver, but my receiver is Derek Meadows. Um, I think the, those are the must-gets. Um, I, I think it's really Derek important. made a huge jump in the rivals rankings. Yeah, and he he is someone that Notre Dame feels good about, but his his uh, uh, the competition is heating up because he's got all kinds of SEC offers now, um, and, and teams are coming around to, to the Derek Meadows hype train. Um, whereas Notre Dame was ahead of the curve with an offer um, last June. So um, interestingly, Marie mentioned Devin Williams, who committed to Auburn uh, this week. I actually had a note on the heat index today for our Inside Indy Sports subscribers about him that I would encourage people to check out if they if they haven't read the heat index uh, yet that was posted this morning. So the check that out. The heat index is awesome. I, I think it's the best thing we have on our paywall side. And and on our free side, I think it's it's the coolest thing because it really gets you up to date on where Notre Dame stands on every position with every prospect, and so you're not reading about these extraneous prospects that really aren't involved and so forth. I love it. 
I would subscribe just for that. Well, thank you, Eric. I appreciate that. Um, and hopefully that convinces some others to do the same because um, it is a lot of work uh, and it is something that we we'll we constantly update. Like we, we, I've, we've been unveiling the 2025 heat index, which um, didn't actually come to like May last year when we first did it in, for the 2024 class, but they're so far along in the class. It's like, man, we better get this out there. They're going to be, they're going to be done by, by the time uh, if we wait till May. So um so narrowing the focus of these are the guys that matter the most right now. And obviously it, it, it can change and we will update the position um, as it, as it, uh, as it evolves. Um, and then as for deuce night, I, I will say yes on deuce night until he visits somewhere else. Then it, it, but if he does visit somewhere else, then I would say all bets are off. Um, the other, other schools are coming after him like Alabama and Mississippi. Um, and we'll see if, any of them are able to get him on campus. Uh, I, I wouldn't rule it out uh, that he that he visits those schools, um, but right now I, I would be betting on yes that he will sign with Notre Dame. I think he's going to see the difference that Mike Denbrock can make in an offense too, and that's going to make Notre Dame even more attractive for him. All right, that is it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with the person you know who runs the fastest 40-yard dash. As I mentioned earlier, we're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to InsideIndieSports.com. That'll get you access to the heat index that Eric so kindly plugged for us. So please take advantage of that with the code NDPOD. That's N-D-P-O-D. I will be heading down to the NFL Combine for a couple days. Um, so I'm interested to see how the Notre Dame participants do. That will give us some more stuff to talk about Monday on Football Never Sleeps over on YouTube. And we'll be getting into Notre Dame spring practices, uh, the first one at least, next week. And uh, we'll have plenty of coverage come coming your way on that. So until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. 